Please be seated. Thank you very much. It's just been wonderful being here. I, I myself have enjoyed it very much. I uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, letting us come. Thank you for strengthening me. Thank you for, oh, Father, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the things you've shown me. And I want you to know that I'm very appreciative of it. And I'm praying this, of this prayer one more time. Help me one more time. And I know you will. Bless the Lord. And, of course, um, the pastors, Kim, Pastor Tim, uh, thank you for inviting me. Bless the Lord. And um, I was praying about coming here or going to Jerusalem. Uh, I work with a group called Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast, and uh, they're having one in Jerusalem. And I thought, well, I need to go there because of our work. We're building a place. And I'm going to tell you that a lot of the offerings, maybe all, that come from this Australian trip are going to go into our project in uh, Israel. And so... uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about things of the end, uh, latter days, end of days, and oh, we're just here at a most wonderful time. And um, what the Lord, this morning, I woke up at 5 o'clock, and he was downloading me. Say this, use this scripture, do that, go here, go there, go this, go that. Well, he didn't do that tonight. I wish he did. Come on. But uh, it was so amazing, and I, I will review just a bit of it. But um, tonight I'm going to share with you. I'm just going to share with you what I learned and what works so well in, in my life, uh, especially in the area of authority of the believer. And uh, yes, hallelujah. I want to begin with a scripture. He did give me a beginning scripture. Praise God. And it's in Isaiah 57, Isaiah 57, um, 15. And this scripture I think about a lot. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. See if I can find some places here. Hallelujah. Isaiah 57, we got talking about this today at... uh, we had lunch together with the pastors and some others. And uh, we got thinking about this scripture, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He inhabits eternity. I remember we had Dr. Um, Roy Hicks come to Ramah when I was uh, there working with Brother Hagen, doing his books, teaching. And uh, Dr. Hicks was the head of the Foursquare Church west of the Rockies. He and his wife had been married and knew very well they had been, the, the uh, wedding was performed by Amy Simple McPherson. He was really a man of the Spirit of God. So he came to Raymond and he talked to Raymond students about eternity. And he said, you could think of it like this, a wagon wheel. And God sits in the middle, and at that middle of the wagon wheel is eternity. And God, who dwells there, can look down any spoke of time, past, present, future. And he gave an example of uh, one time he and his son were driving in, in the Rockies, and it was a very deserted area, and it was very late at night, and they were very tired. They'd been driving for hours. 
And he said, son, there will be a motel around this next curve. And he said, father, or dad, um, there can't be. Nobody lives here. Nobody's on this road. It, it would, it's not practical. He said, son, the Lord just spoke to me. There's a motel around the corner. And that he built it years ago based on our faith we're having tonight. God has done a lot of things for you in your life. Yesterday, when you weren't even living for him, based on what you're going to exercise in the future. But to God, it's eternity. And so since we've been here in this meeting, he's really uh, spoken to me a lot about time and where we are in time. And... Um, if you'll show that chart again, the one that we've been showing, bless the Lord, glory to God, hallelujah. There it is. Um, I learned about this from, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Israel and a lot of time of study. And uh, you know when Moses went up for 40 days and 40 nights, more than one time, um, you know, when I was a little girl, I thought he just sat on an ice cream cone mountain and put his feet on a sapphire little ledge there. But uh, no, Moses went to heaven. If some people can go in these days and come back from a near-death experience, well, certainly God, Moses did. And when he was there, of course, he received the Torah. He received the first five books of the Bible downloaded into him. He received the Ten Commandments. But he, and that's the written word. But he also received uh, the oral word, the oral tradition. And that oral tradition in its earlier days, he was to speak it to um, Joshua. And then Joshua was to speak it to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. It was not supposed to be written down. But when the temples, the second temple, was destroyed, they decided they'd better write it because they were going to be scattered all over the earth. So they wrote down the Talmud, what's known as the Talmud. And uh, some of the things in it are questionable later on, but the early, early, early sages, the ones who wrote early, early on, uh, so much is in it. So with anything like that, you eat the hay and leave the sticks. Now what does that mean? I use it all the time when I study uh, Jewish books and study some things, you know, that really have helped me. Brother Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen, I worked for him. I did his books for years. And he said, and this was the way it was in small town America many years ago. Uh, we did, my grandpa did, you had a cow in the backyard, even if you live in town. And you had a, a little barn back there. And he said, we had an old cow that lived in the, in the back, and we got milk from that cow. And he said, we would throw a, a bale of hay to that cow. And that cow would eat the hay. And in that hay, there would be some sticks and we'd go out there later, the hay's all gone, but there's the stick spit out. He said, that's the way you, you do, you, you eat the hay. He said, have as much sense as an old cow. Eat the hay and leave the sticks. So uh, that's what I do with a lot of things, a lot of uh, writings. Well, this is good hay, and ooh, that's a stick. I'm gonna chew around it, bless the Lord. But this is real hay. And this was given to uh, M Moses when he went up. And he was told that God gave Adam a work week, a six-day work week. That God worked six days and rested on the seventh. And that he gave Adam a six-day work week 
and that Adam, uh, to see what he would do with her. Well, we know that Adam uh, didn't do so well at one point. Uh, the serpent came in, Satan, and of course he fell, Adam fell, and turned over the authority on the earth to Satan. That's why the New Testament calls him the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. Jesus himself called him that. He said to Jesus, Satan said to Jesus, if you worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. For they have been delivered to me. Who delivered them? Adam. Adam. It was a real temptation. Hmm. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. So he was told that Adam was given a six-day work week. Two scriptures tell us that each day is a thousand years in length of our time. Uh, that would be Psalms, and that would be Second Peter. A thousand years. Now, they were divided, and this is in the Talmud, Sanhedrin 97a, if you want to look at it. Each of these are divided into three sections. The first one is called the two days of chaos, no written word. Wouldn't you hate to live before there was a written word? Then came the written word, and then there were the two days of Torah, and then the Messiah was to come at the end of the fourth day. Well, it's really interesting to look in the Talmud because they, they dare not change anything, the Jews. But they have a little asterisk. And the asterisk says at the bottom of the page, he didn't come because we weren't worthy. We weren't ready. But we know he came. He came. And so then the last two days, you know how in the King James Bible it says um, the latter days? Really, what it says in Hebrew is the end of days. And so these last two are called the end of days. That's why Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, said this is the end of days that Joel spoke about. He was at the first of the end of days. We're at the last of the end of days. And we're, this, you could call this the church age. And this is the age of the Messiah. He's the Messiah's our head. And we're the body. Now, we are living all, as I said, and I think we still have some copies of my book, the blood and the glory, and I, I believe, and I've gone into detail in here, about I believe Earth is, is much more than 6,000 years old. I believe it's billions of years old. However, I think they're saying 15 billion now. They used to say four or five when I wrote the book. But now, whatever it is, uh, Adam came six days ago, 6,000 years ago. And that's beginning of what we call time. And God's been talking to me about time ever since we've been here and what time we live. God's plans and what time we live in those plans and what God expects of us in the time that we live. Yeah. Now, uh, this is my 11th visit to Australia. It's just been such a blessing. And this will be the last because when I was praying whether to go to Israel or whether to come here, the Lord said, you're uh, to, to work with, we're going to do, we're going to do a, uh, down in the Gold Coast, we're going to have a Jerusalem prayer breakfast. Some of the people are coming over from Jerusalem, some of the ministers, parliament, and uh, we're going to have that there. And so I had my choice of going to Jerusalem, which I really need to go. We have a project there. We're building a prayer and study center up near the Galilee, and it's just going full force, and I really needed to go there, but I was praying one day in my prayer chair. Oh, I have a prayer chair. <laughs> I was just sitting there a while ago. And you were saying, Jesus, 
and I have a picture that one Akiana did, you know. I have that hanging up on my wall. And I just love to sit in my prayer chair and look up at that picture. But you can go to that place. Like you said, in the same room we go from here, wherever we are. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. So um, <laughs> that got me off. And I didn't bring my handkerchief tonight. I don't know. Shelly's not as good a helper as some of my grandchildren. At, uh, some of my grandchildren who uh, travel with me, my granddaughter Hannah travels with me a lot. She always says, Mimi, did you get your handkerchief? But Shelly forgot. So there you are. Hallelujah. I'm going to try to go on, but we'll, you all pray for me. Hallelujah. But um, on my very first trip here, and I told you I was sent here, sent here by God through David Duplessis, because of the great move that's going to happen here, and for which it is time. Hallelujah. Uh, when I was flying home, and it's never happened again, but I was flying home from um, Sydney, of course, and you can leave Sydney and you can land in Los Angeles before you left Sydney. Now you were singing that song. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Now the way God has time around this planet, there's incense arising, especially on a Sunday, all around the earth. It's 12 noon in Jerusalem right now, and they're worshiping him. It's 4 o'clock in the morning, and my son Chip is going to, and her daughter, who leads the uh, worship at her, my son's church, uh, they're going to be lifting and letting incense arise. And it is so that all the day, all the day, somewhere on this planet, because of the way time is, incense will arise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, um, I was flying back on the first trip. It's never happened. I've, Eleven times I've been here. No other pilot ever did it. But on that first trip, the pilot broke in and said, we just passed the international dateline. And when he said that, I heard God. I heard this very plainly. I'm going to say it to you like I heard it with the inflection. God invented time precisely, mathematically, scientifically. God measured out a piece of eternity and called it time for his dealings with man. Each passing second counts off time until the end of time and its usefulness to God. God didn't need time. He dwells in eternity. The only reason he needed time is to fix the fall and to fix, and he can do it. He'll have it all fixed up. Anything he ever started will be finished in perfection. And so this chart, Adam fell, and then began time, and God will have it all fixed up. And where do we live? We live at the end of the sixth day, just before that seven-year Shemitah cycle that we call the tribulation, and then there will be on earth the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. 
heavenly Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem come together, all things. But before Adam fell, that's eternity past. And after the millennial reign, we don't have too much in the Bible about it, but it's eternity future. And this morning, we got a glimpse in it when I read you that marvelous prophecy that came through Brother Copeland about ecstasy and what people we are and how people in the, in the eternity future will be looking at us and saying, we wish we would have lived in that time. Amen. There's nobody quite like the body of Christ. There's three groups of people, the Jews and the nations, they were both in the, in the Old Testament, but there was a hidden mystery of a people that were going to come forth. It's called the hidden mystery. And that's any Jew, any Gentile, can see that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess it with their mouth and believe it in their heart, and instantly the Holy Ghost kills them. Yes, he kills them. The old man dies, and a brand new creature that's all God, a species that never was before, comes upon this earth. I used to be a Gentile, but I'm not anymore. If you were born a Jew, but you're in this room and you're born again, you used to be a Jew, but you're not one anymore. The church needs to see that we are a species unlike any other. And we... Uh, I wrote in my book, The Blood and the Glory, it came to me when I was getting this revelation, God has a plan. And I wrote in that book, and I hear people quote this little phrase, sometimes God will just take a little phrase and make it alive, oh, what a planner, oh, what a planner. So this morning when he waked me up and he gave me, oh, it was delightful, I just wrote it down in here. Just wrote it down, wrote it down, what God gave. gave. And he, he said, I want you to start with the, with the end of the plan. And so we looked at the end of the plan. All that, let's take this. When you're studying, uh, especially end time doctrine, end of days, you need to know there's three groups of people. And uh, God is talking to three groups of people. You need to determine who is God talking to here. Uh, the church was hidden in the Old Testament. It's hidden in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was not revealed until God knocked a, a Jewish man uh, 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 off of his horse, I guess he was on a horse, going to Damascus. His name is Paul. He took that man aside, you can see in Galatians, for 17 years, and he revealed to him the hidden mystery, the mystery of the church. Now, you will find you who you are all the Bible's for the church, but not all the Bible's about the church. Some of it's about other people. And sometimes God is talking about his plan for the nations, sometimes his plan for the Jews. But the part of the Bible that's to the church, for the church, and about the church is the New Testament letters. It's there you're going to find everything about this new creation man. And right now today, for the place where we are in God's plan, one of the outstanding books, one of the outstanding letters, one of the ones you should be meditating in is the book of Ephesians. So let's turn to that book, The Letter of Ephesians. Woo, I love this book. And I have not got a handkerchief to wave. Does anybody have one? 
I'll take a Kleenex. Yes. I do not know how people get along without something to wave. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Let's just look at this book of Ephesians. Hallelujah. After the introduction, well, we better read the introduction because it's who it's to. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints. And he wrote it, first of all, which are at Ephesus. But this was, I think, a circulatory letter, and it went all around to the churches, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. This is to the church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all, this could read, Holy Spirit-given blessings in the heavenlies, in the anointed one, according as he hath chosen us in him when, before the foundation of the world, Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Do any of you have an a, uh, English, New English, English, Revive, uh, what do they call that? ESV, e English Standard Version. Any of you have that Bible? The period is in the right place in that translation. In the uh, original languages, Hebrew, Greek, Greek there's no um, punctuation. So you have to choose. The translators chose. It should go there. He chose us. He chose this body of Christ that we should be holy and without blame before him. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. You know where you're going? To the Father. And you're going to be throughout eternity before him. Your place is before the Father. For out eternity. We're equipped, we're made to be able to stand, endure, and not die the presence of God. So the place of the born-again believers is before him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's a good word. I like that word. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. I move you over for a bit. I'm going to use this chair later. In love, he predestined us to the adoption of children. And then this marvelous book tells us our place in God's plan. Now, this he had a plan from before the foundation of the world. It was not a shock to him that Adam sinned, and he already had it fixed. He already, he was going to make a man, he was going to make a man, and, and, and the name of the man in, the, in that book is Adam. Adam. And dom is the Hebrew word for blood. He's going to make a creature of blood. As far as I know, there never been one before. Angels don't have blood. God didn't have blood until he came as a man. But he's going to make an Adam, and he's going to make him from the ground, Adama, and he's going to make the blood red, dome. So he's going to make 
There was a time. Oh, I could give you the scripture on this, but I didn't write it down. In eternity past, when God said, I'm going to make a man, he's going to fall. But I can redeem him if one will go and live in a body and perfectly satisfy all the requirements of righteousness in the law and will shed his blood and pour it out, then I can redeem man. And that's what happened in the fall, and that's what happened in redemption. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and shed his blood, and now we can be redeemed, brought back from the enemy. I shared with you that God showed me in, a, in, in giving me the... Uh, in giving me the revelation of the, of the blood, and I wrote the book, The Blood and the Glory, uh, and the glory of God, he showed me the fall. And um, he showed it to me. I've been thinking about these things. One morning, I was getting ready to go teach the Sunday school class where my ministry started. And I got up, I told you, real early in the morning, 5 o'clock, and I put on a roast. I had four children and a hungry husband. My husband thought I was the best preacher in the world. He told a good friend of mine, also a woman preacher, she did not agree with him. <laughs> but we had been to Russia, and we'd, we went there, you know, in KGB days, ran from the KGB, all those exciting things. And Kent came back early, and my friend, also a woman preacher, came back early. And she said, Billy, I had to sit there all the way back and listen to him bragging on your preaching. And he said, you know, I, I think she's the best preacher. He said, I think Brother Hagen gets some of his ideas from her. <laughs> exactly the opposite. But uh, I told that to Brother Hagen. He thought it was great that Kent would think that. And, uh, but on Sunday morning, if I was going to go preach or teach, uh, I, I knew how to be who God placed me to be. I love being a wife. I love being a mother. And so I got up early to put a roast on because Kent loved me to preach, but when the preaching was over, he wanted to come home and have something to eat. So unless they eat the table, I would put on the roast and I would get up. We only had one bathroom, and I would, I would make, uh, make myself up before Shelly got up because she spent a lot of time in there. <laughs> And I'm making my eye, doing this eye here. I hear a voice. Now, I had already seen that God created man. And I had seen that he created him to, have, to, to, to subdue, to have dominion. I, I did also books for Brother uh, Sumrall. And I did a book for Brother Sumrall that he said in that book, you're either going to dominate or you're going to be dominated in your life. So I choose to dominate the devil. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. But I, I knew that he had said that, and I had seen the difference. I had seen the, the gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, and that the recreation, that earth was created by God perfectly, gloriously, but then at the fall of Satan, and we could teach on that for a long time, but we won't, it had fallen into this state with the dark, damp waters, and everything um, uh, that existed, like the dinosaurs, all of that, belongs to a period called, by Peter, the world that then was, during which uh, waters, the world that then was, perished. 
by the waters that came over them. Noah's flood, the, wor the world didn't perish. But it did perish in the Genesis 1-1, uh, the flood that came. And, and I, I wrote about all of that in, in my book, The Blood and the Glory. And so I had seen then that when God, the Holy Spirit, began to move and hover over those waters, that they had laid that way, the earth had laid that way since the fall of Satan, as long as true science requires, maybe 15 billion years, whatever. Nobody knows for sure. But it was like that. And then one day, activity started happening. And the spirit of the living God began to hover over those waters. And I saw, God let me see, I had visions. I have not had visions over any other subject in my life as much as over that one. And he would give them to me regularly. And I saw the angels. I saw. He said, I didn't do it in a corner. He said, I stepped out to center stage. And all I made a statement that rocked creation from the regions of glory to the regions of the damned. And I said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the works of my hands. And then in one of my visions, I heard the, I heard the angels. What is a man? What is a man? What's 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 an Adam? Ma'adam. Ma'adam. That's how you would say it in Hebrew. What is a man? And we see those words of the angel recorded in Psalm 8. We know from Hebrews 2 that an angel said it. And the angel said, <clears throat> I added that part. <laughs> well, let's just turn. Let's just turn to, to Psalm 8 again. Hallelujah. Oh, I just get so excited thinking about these things. Woo! Glory be to God. Hallelujah. And so this angel had watched God create. And the angel started out by kind of flattering God. Verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, I do have a question. I added that part. But we know it's a question. There's a question mark. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, that you visit him. Angels had to call on God. Here's somebody that God goes down to the garden and visits. You made him a little lower than the angels. But if you have a reference Bible, it tells you that word is Elohim, which is the word God plural. El is God, Elohim is plural. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. You crowned him. What in this world you crowned a man? God got up off of his throne in pomp and circumstance like no other king could be crowned. Certainly not the king of England. You crowned him. What with? Not with gold. Streets are paved with gold in heaven. You crowned him with glory. Glory is the highest heavenly substance. The glory of God is God. The glory of God is the Spirit of God. We're told in Romans that God raised Jesus by the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised him, but also in another place it said he was raised by the glory. So the glory of God is the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. You crowned him with glory. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. 
You put all things under his feet. So that was man. He had been crowned with the glory. He wore glory. It was his clothing. He could walk with God. He could talk with God. He could fellowship God because he's, of the, he's covered with the same substance, God, until that day. And the saddest words in the Bible are, they hid themselves. We hid ourselves. We were naked. Who told you you were naked? And they no longer were clothed with the glory. Man and God had a gulf fixed. Well, that's what God let me see. And that morning, I was doing my eyes, and I heard this voice right back here, up. Do you know Romans 3.23? And the first thing I thought was, thank God it's what I know. <laughs> what if you get to heaven and they say, have you read the text? You know? Well, thank God it was one I knew because I was raised Baptist and we went, led people to Jesus down the Roman road. And that's one of the first steps. I wheeled around very proudly, was going to quote it to the one who wrote it. <laughs> and I said, For all have sinned and come short of the <gasps> glory. And that's when I saw the fall. I saw the fall like God was there and it was all light and bright and I saw the man fall and he fell down to the lowest depths and I saw him there cringing behind Satan. The man was behind him to the side and Satan was saying to God, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Because God has said, He's going to have dominion over the works of my hands. I'm going to work with man. But Satan knows that he separated God from man, separated man from God, and that man died spiritually and became death, spiritual death, sin. And he knew that God couldn't work with him. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And I saw that God did not answer him. But I saw a door in the midst of the light that was God, had a knob on it, had these words, top secret. God had a plan. And he didn't tell Satan. It's hidden in God. All through the New Testament, it's talking about the body of Christ. God is going to send Jesus to shed his blood he's going to redeem that man he's going to buy him back redemption oh I thank God every morning I start by saying thank you Lord Colossians tells me that you translated me out of the kingdom of darkness you rescued me from the dominion of Satan and you translated me into the kingdom of the light the son of your love we were redeemed, we were rescued, we were brought back. God does everything legally. And I, I, I began to understand redemption when I was a little Baptist girl, and I heard this story. And a man and his little boy, uh, they lived maybe in Europe, I don't know, but someplace where you have rivers with banks on the side that are kind of little streams, or, or, or gentle flowing rivers. And the man made a boat. He carved it out of wood, painted a little red boat, put a little sail on it. And the father and son, they sailed that little boat down that stream. They had good fellowship doing it. And uh, 
the father passed away. And the little boy loved to go down to the stream and, and he would remember being with his father and he put the little boat out in the stream. But one day, it went, the wind caught it and it went out into the ocean. And he was so sad. But just about Thanksgiving time before Christi Christmas, I don't know where this happened. We have Thanksgiving time in America. Could have been, I think this mostly, wherever. It was November. And uh, he passed by a toy shop. And in that toy shop was his little boat. And he went in and he said, that's my little boat. And the toy shop owner said, some seamen brought that in and uh, it's, it's available to purchase for a certain amount of money, but the little boy didn't have any money. So he went to work doing anything he could do, selling newspapers, doing whatever he could, and every day he would go by and he just knew somebody would buy that little boat for a Christmas present. But he got enough money Christmas Eve and he went and there was a little boat still in the window. He went in and purchased it and he said, little boat, little boat, you're twice mine. I made you and I bought you. And that's what he did for us. He made us and he bought us legally back from the hand of the enemy. Bless the Lord. And in that garden that day, God said, I'm going to send one and he's going to bruise your head. And he had a plan. And that plan involved God working legally. Satan usurped it. But God worked illegally. And step by step by step by step through all the prophets, through the four gospels, till uh, Paul came, till Jesus came, and Jesus shed his blood step by step by step by step by step until he could get to the culmination of his plan. And he woke me up this morning and he said, start with the culmination of the plan what I've been working toward. So that was the first scripture we read today. And if you'll turn with me to Ephesians 2. Oh, I'm about to dance. Ooh, woo, woo, woo. This is where God was headed. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Ephesians 3, 9. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. When Satan said, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? There it was. And when God showed me that fall, he said, I wish you'd look at the fall from my point of view. He said, it is the natural inclination of a, of a father if his son falls to reach for him and clasp him to his bosom. But had I done that, I would have destroyed him. I would have burned him up. God is a consuming fire. And, 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 and sin. He would have destroyed him and mankind in him. But he had a plan. And that plan is written right here. The culmination of it. And you and I are the generation that sees the culmination of the plan. We are the ones upon whom it is bestowed to fulfill. And here it is. Verse 9, Paul said, this is it. This is the unsearchable riches of the anointed one. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, 
which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent, this is the plan, this is it, this is where we're going, that now and to the principalities and powers, the rulers, the authorities of that dark world that, that, uh, that Adam turned it over to, those who became the prince of this world, the prince of the powers of the air, to the intent that now and to the principalities and powers in the heavenlies might be known by the church or made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God had a purpose. It's called and translated in some translations the purpose of the ages. Maybe your Bible says that. From the beginning of any age ever there was, right down to the time when we live at the end of the six days, his purpose was that there's going to be a group of people that are going to be the very body of the living Christ, and they are going to manifest God to that Satan who caused Adam's fall and all of his henchmen. There's a group of people that are going to manifest God to them. And that is the eternal purpose of the ages, and that's us, and that's now, and that's you and me. And it's God's will that we manifest him and that we have a thing called authority over him. And he has to obey us. When God sent Jesus, and Jesus came back, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. You go now. And he gave the authority on earth to his body. Brother Hagen had a lot of open-eye visions. And in one of his open-eye visions, Jesus was standing before him and, and talking to him when suddenly a little demon came up and threw up like an inky screen between Brother Hagen and, and Jesus. And he couldn't see through it like a smoke screen. And, he, he said, and Jesus was talking, 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 but Brother Hagin couldn't hear him. And he said, why doesn't Jesus, he thought, why doesn't Jesus do something about that? Doesn't he know that I cannot hear a word he says? And he kept on talking, kept on talking, and Brother Hagin didn't want to miss it. So finally he stomped his foot, and he said to that demon, get! And the thing ran. And Jesus said, and the screen went down, and he could hear Jesus. And Jesus said, it's... It's good that you did that, because if you had not done that, I could not have done that. And Brother Hagin said, surely, Lord, you, you meant you would not. No, I could not. I gave the earth, I gave the authority on the earth over demons to my body. And you, he said, you'll never read any place in the New Testament where I told you to pray that I would do anything about the devil. He said, I've done everything I'm going to do about him in this age, in this dispensation, what's going to happen is going to happen. What, the authority, you're the one that's going to tell him what to do. And if you don't take it, my church in the earth has authority. And if you don't take it, he'll, he'll not, he shouldn't do it, but he knows what he can do. And in this, in this way that things are set up, 
when he told Jesus, you know, all the kingdoms of the world have been given him, there in these heavenlies, atmospheric heavenlies above us, Satan's not in hell. He's going to hell. And you can read about that in Isaiah chapter 14. But right now, Jesus said when he was walking the earth, you live in Pergamum at that time where Satan has got his seat, his, his throne up over that city of Pergamon. And that's in Revelation 2 or 3, someplace there. And I saw, uh, the Lord showed me about that, and he moves his seat, his headquarters. Different times, he'll move it. Uh, during World War II, he moved it over Berlin. And I could go into a whole lot of things about that, but I won't. But there he is, and he's there right now. And he knows that Jesus is coming soon, and he's doing everything in his power to stop it. And he's doing everything in his power to keep you from knowing that all you have to do is resist the devil and he will flee from you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so I saw from a long time ago that the plan of God is for the glory of the Lord, for the church, right here in this book in Ephesians, it says that's going to be a glorious church filled with the glory of God. Brother Hagin, I worked for Brother Hagin. He'd been told, look up every scripture on the glory. And I, he would look them up. He, he put them all out. He'd put them in the back of his Bible, and I'd watch him, and he'd jerk a little bit. And when God told him to, he'd read that. He'd pull them out and read it. And I thought, oh, we're in for it now. And he'd just start reading, just in a monotone. He'd read all the scriptures about the glory, how the glory came down on the mountain like a fire, how the glory filled the tabernacle, how the glory filled the temple, how they couldn't stand up. Sometimes he'd make it over to uh, when, pe when uh, Stephen looked up and saw the glory, but not often, because somewhere in that meeting, a wave would come from the back, usually that side. And I'd watch him, he'd step back and get out of it, because it would pick up the people and strange things would happen. <laughs> Oftentimes he'd bring them to the front, they'd fall, there'd be healings, a manifestation of the glory. Well, I figured if it would uh, behoove him to look up those scriptures on the glory, it'd behoove me. When I started looking at them and teaching on them and seeing visions, uh, I'm, I'm looking for the glory. And I'm thinking the glory, I'm going to see it. I'm we're here. I heard Brother Hagin prophesy. I heard Sister Wilkerson prophesy. I heard other people who were false prophets prophesying doom and gloom. But not them. They were prophesying there's going to be a move of God. There's going to be an outpouring of the former rain and latter rain together. And it's going to bring in, James says, a great harvest, the precious fruit of the earth. And, and, and Brother Hagin would prophesy, oh, my Jesus. I sent for my daughter-in-law who's coming uh, to Melbourne to bring me these prophecies because it, it tells about a time when we're going to be moving in the supernatural. It'll be so common to us, ordinary. It will be as easy as a bird flies in the air and as a fish swims in the sea. We will manifest God's glory. And, and the word of the Lord would come in these great prophecies that we'll be filled with the glory. We're the glorious church. We're the temple of God. 
Moses built the tabernacle. It was filled with the glory. Solomon built the temple. It was filled with the glory. The Holy Ghost is building, according to Ephesians, us into a habitation of God. We're going to be filled with the glory. We're the temple of God. We're going to be the glorious church. And boy, I'm looking for that. I'm looking. And I saw something else. I saw different things. I saw some people who had been preaching the same message fall out with each other. That's the devil's tool against the glory. His tool uh, for the Jews so that God's, he's always against God's word. And God said the Jews are coming home, so what did he always try to do? Kill them all. Not many of them, just kill them. So in the, in the dark ages and in the crusades and in the Spanish Inquisition and in Tsarist Russia and in the uh, uh, Holocaust, just try to kill them all. He never got it done. Hitler and the Third Reich is gone and the, and the Jews have come home. He can't stop God's word. And he can't stop filling us with the glory. I could tell you right now, I know as well as I know my name, that we are going to be a glorious church walking this earth, that Jesus is the most glorious bridegroom, and we are going to be presented to him a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. I don't know how long, but the Bible tells us that when we're born again, he comes in as Christ in you, the hope of glory, and then it tells us you're changed from one degree of glory to the next to the next, and actually with the catching away of the church, there'll just be one more cap sheath, and that'll be out of here. I believe Tommy Hicks' vision. How many of you have ever read Tommy Hicks' vision? I believe it. Uh, There's a lady here that's a friend of the Shakarians, and I knew Demas well. And Demas told me that three, several times Tommy Hicks had that vision. One of the times he was in Demas's house in the bedroom. And when Demas Shakarian was having the vision of the uh, full gospel, I, I think she used it in her book. She used the story I told her. When he was there having a vision of full gospel businessmen, which God really used uh, during the charismatic days, and he said, I was there, my wife Rose was playing the organ, and Tommy Hicks was in there having his vision for about the third time. And he saw this church of the living God down, beat down with little devils all over it. But then he saw it rise up. Oh, glory be to God. And he saw us. And I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. It's going to be Satan cannot stop it. He couldn't stop the Jews from coming home. And he's not stopping us from being glorious. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Praise God, hallelujah. But I was looking for that glory. I mean, I'm looking for it. But I see something else. I see these brethren. I see them fall out with each other. Because that's what Satan's tool is. He'll just, unity, when Jesus prayed about glory in the 17th chapter of John, he said, Father, make them one that the world can see. Your glory. Glorify them. Glorify me. As you glorified me. So uh, unity has to do with it, and uh, that's what happens. I've seen it happen. You couldn't believe it would happen. I saw a church that I was going to had an center aisle. And uh, there were two factions in that church. This one over here 
her grandfather had started the church. This one over here, they were the money. They had all the money. So the church was building a new facility. And uh, there came, uh, it was not a spirit-filled church. It was a, a denominational church that I went to. And they had business meetings. And if you ever want to see a fight, go to the business meeting. Because whatever this side is for, that side's against. And vice versa. So they got into a fight about which side of the... They already had been in a fight about the color of the brick of the new church. Now they're fighting over which side of the church the piano is going to sit on, the grand piano. Now this side over here, whose uh, grandfather built the church, she's also the pianist. So you know what? <laughs> There's a center aisle. They're here, here. They started throwing their Bibles at each other. They did. They threw their Bibles across the aisle at each other. This is a little bitty cow town in Oklahoma. It's called the hay capital of the world because you have a lot of cows and ranches and people live out, you know. And, oh, the population of the town was probably 200. But, you know, more people came to church because they're ranchers. And in that little bitty town, they go down and build another church. And I passed by there one day, and that other church had a sign out on the highway, Reaching the World for Jesus. I thought, I doubt that very seriously. God, help us. And we preached this morning about walking in love. You have to walk in love to be filled with the glory. So that's another subject. So anyway, I'm watching for this glory, and I see other things. And one of the things I see is inexplicable accidents and deaths. And one of them was at Kenneth Hagen, no, no, it was the Kenneth Copeland Convention in um, Fort Worth. And the Aussie Australian team, Brother Copeland's Australian office, had come over to Fort Worth. And uh, they had asked that uh, actually Gloria's uh, niece, who worked for Gloria Copeland, and her husband, they asked him, he was over the international uh, to take the Australian people out that night before the, the convention started. And they went out, and a, and a drunk came from nowhere and hit the van and killed Gloria and, uh, gl not Gloria, huh? killed Gloria's uh, niece and her baby, and unborn baby. Mm -hmm, she was pregnant. And I mean, that's when I went to God. I saw another uh, convention, and, and just before it, the niece of the people that were leading it tripped over a cord and died. I said, what is this? And that's when God showed me. He showed me how Satan fights the glory. And I saw then that it doesn't have to be so. But what has to be so, and I wrote about it in my book, Hallelujah. And that's when God started giving me the revelation of the blood and how to use the blood against the enemy. You see, we're not sitting here. We have weapons that are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of any place the devil made a stronghold. And so um, I began to see these things, and of course I worked for Brother Hagen, and uh, he talked about, uh, he said something, he said, 
the older saints knew something about God, about the blood that we don't know, the old timers. And uh, he said, um, everything we had, everything we have is on the basis of the blood. And so, I, and he said, the old timers knew something about it. So I thought, well, I better go and I better find out what the old timers knew. And I began to search about the blood, hallelujah, and I found uh, an old timer. I don't know what page I put her on here, but Mrs. C. Newsom. And I knew that uh, Brother Hagen had read after her, that was the first book he read after he came to the Lord, was Sister C. Newsom. And Sister C. Newsom wrote about the power of, of God and the power of the devil, excuse me, the power of the blood over Satan. Brother Hagin would always say it like this. He would say, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus. Here's what Brother Hagin said. Every benefit and blessing we possess in our redemption, including complete and total victory over Satan, is based on Jesus and his triumph over Satan at the cross. We have victory over Satan because of Jesus' shed blood. The old timers in Pentecost understood a truth about the blood of Jesus. They would plead the blood against the devil that is scriptural. Those last three pages leaped off the book and into my heart. And a deep desire came up in me to know about the blood. God gave me that desire. And almost immediately thereafter, someone handed me Mrs. C. Newsom's book, The Life of Faith. And I remembered, you should get that little book. It's tremendous. I remembered it once. This was the first book Kenneth Hagin read about faith after he came off the deathbed. It was first published in 1928. She was 71 years old at the time. She told how she'd been very, very sick as a child. But then she'd found out about the blood, and she learned how to use that blood. And, and there's lots of, I, I put in here a lot of the victories that she had, amazing victories. But it was reading her book that I found the answer I was seeking. The preventative action we can take against Satan's unfair blows. In uh, chapter 7, which she entitles, Hold Fast That Which You Have, she exposed the door Satan uses to enter and take a place. You remember how it says in, neither give place to the devil. That means you give the place or you don't give the place. And she wrote this. We're all in the land of the enemy and are subject to his attacks. But God says, give no place to the devil. Ephesians 4.27. That means he cannot take a place in us when... We, when he attacks us, if we do not let him. We open the way for him to come in if we sin. Sin, in word, deed, or thought, gives a place to the devil. Well, that's an obvious door, sin. But I knew that in those cases, I knew that Gloria's niece, I knew there wasn't any sin involved. It was inexplicable. I knew in the other case, when the girl trapped across the cord, there wasn't any sin involved. So, Thank God after we're, we're, we sin. We, if we sin, we can ask God to wash us with the blood, and he does. But uh, in these cases, there weren't, there weren't anything that I could put a finger on. So I read on to see what she said about another door. And I knew I had the door. I had it. 
I had what I was looking for, an opening Satan uses to afflict the innocents and how to keep it closed. God's remedy, she wrote, always accomplishes just what God says it will accomplish, overcome the enemy. But watchfulness is the price of constant victory. And she quoted 1 Peter 5.8. Be vigilant, watch all the time, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. She writes, Our enemy is so set on our destruction that he never sleeps or neglects to follow after us to destroy us. How sad that we who have so much at stake should be less diligent than he. A failure to watch also gives the devil a place in us or permits him to return. It is written in another scripture, I say unto all, watch. We're not safe from his attacks without the blood of Jesus. As soon as we waken in the morning, we should cry out for the blood to be upon us, within us, around us, between us and all evil and the author of evil. And the last thing before we sleep, we should in the same way cry out for the blood. Whoa, I do it. Well, I learn these things when I'm at home and I have my children and I figure this out that um, I got a garden and I can keep the devil out of my garden. I'm growing children. I'm growing Shelly and her brothers and her sister. And I'm going to keep him out of my garden. I'm working for Kenneth E. Hagin. Thank God he brought me to Kenneth E. Hagin when I was just young and so ignorant. And there I learned about the blood, and I used it to raise those kids. Chip, I don't know how many of you know Chip, but how many of you would guess out of the four children, the one that was a challenge? It wasn't Shelley, there's a hint. And Chip was fun. He was fun. He was an athlete. He had lots of fun. He was a, he was a fun kid. But I don't know. He just, you know, he was all boy where everything, whatever that all means. And I would use that blood of Jesus. And on Mother's Day, I went down to his church, and he talked about it. And he, he had faith in the blood. And he'd be getting in his car, and I would take my hands, and I'd put them on my head or his head, or I might do it on the car. And I would say, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over this car, bumper to bumper, side to side, top to bottom, every part working and non-working. No one or no thing can bump this car, and we will bump no thing in the name of Jesus. I still do that. I say it every time I get in the car. And I've been driving. I didn't uh, uh, have a wreck driving uh, since 1967. So I've driven lots of miles. I've flown millions of miles. I get on that airplane and I say, I plead the blood of Jesus on this airplane from nose to tail, wingtip to wingtip, top to bottom, every part working and non-working over the pilots. They will fly, uh, the Holy Spirit will fly down through them. I use the blood. And I have flown, I never had any, hardly any bumpy weather. A little bit the other day, we had a little bumpy, but nothing to scare you. Because Jesus got in that boat and he said, let us pass over to the other side. And I tell to that plane, pass over. Pass over to Sydney. Pass over to L.A. Pass over to Melbourne. Whatever. And I know it's going to do it. Now, I check my spirit and if the Lord said, this pilot's drunk, don't get on this plane, I would get off the plane. But bless the Lord, hallelujah. Satan is not going to bring me down. 
not going to be Satan. No, 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 because I've learned, and I use that blood of Jesus. And Chip was uh, telling, he said, uh, sometimes he'd have a new girlfriend. He had lots of girlfriends. And before they went out, if he brought them by the house, I'd say, I plan to plead the blood over you. And he said, they wouldn't even, what, your mother pleads blood? <laughs> One time he had the whole football team over, and they, they made a cake and cooked hamburgers in my kitchen, made it a wreck. And they're all gonna go out then someplace, and they got their cars, and his car's gonna be full of them, kids. And I decided, well, I won't embarrass him, I'll just uh, say it here from the kitchen. He stomped back in that house. He said, what kind of a mother are you? Are you gonna let me go out without pleading the blood on me? <laughs> he counted it. He had faith to keep him safe. So he goes to college. I wrote this in the book. He's an athlete, and he lives with athletes because they're, they're going to college on scholarships. They play ball of one sort or another. So they decided in one of their years that they're not going to live in the dorm anymore. They're going to rent this double-wide trailer, uh, mobile home, and they're going to live in it. So they rented it, and the school starts, and they came home, and when they came home, one day after school, everything in that house is turned on. Uh, the mixer, the radio's blaring, the television is blaring. Everything's turned on. Full. There's fans. They're all whizzing. Well, they thought somebody was, you know, playing a trick on them. But they asked the landlord, and he said nobody else has a key. So they did this, and they'd come home from school and be that way. Well, one morning, early in the morning, it was about five o'clock. My phone rang. And I answered it, and I heard these little voices, like squeaks, like mice. Mrs. Brim, Mom! It's, it's him and his roommates. And, and they're, they're telling me this story about how, uh, you know, all these things would happen. And then one night, Conley, who was a basketball player, uh, well, Chip was a baseball player, and he was in another place, and, and they heard, he heard just a slam. Uh, like, a, like the door of that trailer slammed and he heard noises and the trailer shook and it was a big one and it shook and so he goes into the, the he, Chip and another guy are back in one bedroom in twin beds and Matt he's sleeping on a couch in the, in the living room and he goes in and says Matt said did you hear that did you see that Matt said something came in here dark and shadowy and it went down into Conley's room and Conley comes out of his room and he's shaking in his boots. And he said, this demon, this, 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 this creature came into my room, this dark creature. And he had a hood and he had a scythe, you know, like uh, death. And he said, I think, I think he's telling me I'm going to die. And they will go, ah! <laughs> and Chip goes back in his room. And the guy that's been on the couch comes and gets in the twin bed with Chip. <laughs> That was Matt. And they decide we're never going to tell anybody this. We're never telling it. Well, actually, they didn't hear what Conley said. They haven't heard Conley tell his story yet. So they're, in the, they're tiptoeing around in the living room in the morning. Conley comes out and he said, did you all see what came in my room last night? The Grim Reaper. The Grim Reaper came in. And he's telling me I'm going to die. And they all go, ah! And they run out that house. And Chip said, it is the fastest mile on record. <laughs> they ran down. There was no cell phones back in those days. And there was a, a, a little store that had a phone about a mile away. 
And he said, we broke all records. <laughs> we ran down there, and that's the phone call I got. Mrs. Brown, Chip. They told me this, uh, Mom. They told me this story. I said, oh, those are just low-level devils. They just, uh, they're the only thing they can do, the only power they got is to scare you. I said, did you get scared? Yes, yes, we got scared. <laughs> I said, well, they succeeded. I said, now, do you have any oil at your house? No. And so um, I said, they chipped, I said, buy some oil there at that, that little store and go back down there. And uh, devils and demons, they don't need doors, but uh, you're going to just signify the uh, entry. And you take that oil as a sign of the Holy Ghost, and you just put it. I knew they needed something to see. And you just put it on that door, and you put it on those windows, and you say, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus. You can't come in here in our house. So Chip said they had the fastest mile going out, and they had the slowest mile on record coming back. And they get back in there, and they use the oil. And they come home from school, and there's no blaring TV. There's no blaring radio. There's no nothing, and never anything happened again. Now, Chip and Conley, they were not living for God, but they knew to live for God. And the next Sunday found them in church, which they have not been in in a long time. And then my other son, Terry, he was a bull rider. And uh, he went to this college where they have bull riding. And he just, his, his roommate where he was living moved or quit school. So he needed to save a little money. So he moved in with some other guys uh, into a, a mobile home. And he, they, were, they would gamble, they would drink and all this stuff. And uh, Terry uh, said he, he went to bed this night and he went back in the back room where his bed was. And he said, my bed start lifting up off the floor lift up three feet off the floor. And he said, I knew all I had to say was Jesus, but I couldn't say it. I tried to say Jesus, I couldn't say it. Finally, finally, he got it out and down with the bread. Bless the Lord. Have any of you ever had that experience? You have had that experience? I find that people have had that experience where something comes in and makes you think you can't say Jesus, but you can eventually say Jesus. And when you say Jesus, you resist the devil and he flees from you. He has to. Brother Hagin said, if you, if he doesn't flee, it's because you didn't resist. So, I learned a lot about the blood. And then, Further revelation came to me on the authority of the believer. And I worked for Kenneth Hagin, and uh, he had a book called The Believer's Authority that he wrote about it. And uh, in his beginning of that book, this is his foreword. Back in the 1940s, I asked myself the question, do we have authority that we don't know about? That we haven't discovered that we're not using? I'd had little glimpses of spiritual authority once in a while. Like others, I'd stumbled upon it. And it exercised it without knowing what I was doing. And I began to wonder, is the Spirit of God trying to show me something? 
So I began to study along this line, feed along this line, and he came across uh, pamphlets by a man named uh, John A. Macmillan. And he read those pamphlets, and as a result of my studies, I concluded that we as a church have authority on the earth that we've never yet realized, authority we're not using. Now listen to this. A few of us have barely gotten to the edge of that authority, but before Jesus comes again, there's going to be a whole company of believers who will rise up with the authority that is theirs. They will know what is theirs, and they will do the work that God intended they do, which is manifest God to those principalities and powers. That is the purpose of the ages. That's God's purpose from when Adam fell, that he would get a group of people that would know the authority they had in Jesus and they would manifest him to that one who came in and usurped the authority. And that's you and me. That's us. So the, the, uh, I don't have the book up here. I don't know if we've got any back there for sale. But uh, eventually those pamphlets of John A. Macmillan, who had been a missionary and seen God's authority over the devil in the Philippines and China. Uh, do we have that book, Ruth? Do we have John A. Macmillan's book? We do? I can't hear you. Three? Whatever. If it's back there, it's back there. If it's not, I put it in two of my books. I put a lot of it in two of my books. One of them is how you can pray in the end of days, and one of them is this little book. This little book here, The Authority of the Believer and How to Use It. We printed this, and, and, and thousands and thousands of them have gone out, and people carry it in their purses and in their pockets to use the authority of the believer. Now, Brother Hagen studied John A. McMillan, and John A. McMillan's book, which we now have the rights to, we reprinted it because they had stopped printing it. Uh, this is McMillan's preface to his book. The rapidly approaching end of the age is witnessing a tremendous increase in the activity of the powers of darkness. And he gives some reasons, some evidences. We can see them everywhere. To meet the situation, the Church of Christ needs a new conception of prayer. The urgent call is for men and women wholly yielded to the Lord, whose eyes have been enlightened to see their ministry in the heavenlies. You and I have a ministry in the heavenlies. The urgent call is for men and women wholly yielded to the Lord whose eyes have been enlightened to see their ministry in the heavenlies to which they have been called. Such believers may, in union with the great head of the body, exercise an authority to which the powers of the air must give place wherever challenged. Hallelujah. He departed the earth... Uh, in 1956, and you and I know that it's, it's much worse now. And in that book, which I hope we have, but if we don't, I, I copied a whole lot of it in here. Since we own the rights to the book, I could do it. And uh, to understand the authority that is given to us, mainly the book of Ephesians tells us about it. And this authority that has been handed over to you and me 
there are five Greek words translated authority. One of them, um, I mean, excuse me, they're translated power. Five Greek words translated in the English Bible's power. They should have been used differently. One of them is dunamis, and it just means like you could get dynamite power. I mean, that kind of power. But another one is exousia, and it's authority. And it, in, in, uh, in one of the verses in Luke 10, 18, I think it is, it says that God has given us power over, ex, excuse me, exousia over the power, the dunamis of the devil. So he has given us exousia. He has given us. The difference between them is like a traffic policeman. Even little women these days can stand out there in the middle of New York City, Times Square, and they can hold up a hand and trucks have got to stop. Well, she doesn't have the dunamis to stop that truck, but she's got a badge and she's got authority and she holds up her hand. So that's what we've got. And it comes with a new birth. The moment you are born again, you have the authority over the devil. I told you that I did books for uh, Lester Sumrall, and I was doing a book on Dominion with him, and he got a telephone call when he did a book. Brother Hagin would just give you the tapes, whatever. You went to the seminar, you made a book. He read it and said, fine, not Lester. You had to live with Lester day and night, and he had to go over your work, and he didn't have just a tape. He had uh, articles he'd torn out of Time magazine and notes and everything, so every day you worked with him. And one day I was working with him. He got a telephone call, and... Uh, Somebody wanted a devil cast out, and he did it right on the phone. But he said, you know, if they'd only known it, a four-year-old could have done what I just did. But you have to know it. I was seven years old when I got born again. It took me until I'm almost 30 to find out that I've got authority over the devil, and he is in subjection to me. Now, where we find out about this is in the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to go to the book of Ephesians right now. Hallelujah. Ephesians 1. Hallelujah. Oh, how I love that book of Ephesians. Bless the Lord of my soul. Hallelujah. Now, in this book of Ephesians, I better have this just in case. I'm going to sit down here because I'm getting ready to rule and reign. And kings don't stand up when they reign. They sit on the throne. Hallelujah. So in this book of Ephesians, which gives us the revelation, there's a prayer that starts out here. And Brother Hagin suggested, after reading Macmillan, that we pray this prayer every day. I have been praying this prayer every day, just about, sometimes I miss a day, but not often. I've been praying it for 50 years. I know it by heart, but I'm gonna say it, and I want you to get your Bible out. And this is gonna tell us about the authority that we have. So we start praying with verse 17. And each day I pray it like this. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
Any revelation that I might have in the word of God comes because I've been praying this 50 years. Hallelujah. Give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Let the eyes of my understanding, King James says, other, and it's actually heart, the inner man. Let the eyes of my heart be enlightened that I might know. And then it, it prays that we would know something on three topics. The first one, what is the hope of your calling? Every one of these have to do with glory. I'm not going to preach on it, but there are scriptures which tell us we're called unto glory. Number one, the hope of your calling. Number two, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. We inherited God. We inherited, we're joint heirs with Jesus, but he inherited you. And when I come here and I speak to any group, I'm always thinking, God's inheritance is there. And there's a glory in them. And that's going to be increased or not affected at all when I minister. So I always thank God for the opportunity. There's a glory in this congregation. That's the second thing that he wants us to understand. And the third thing is that we could have the spirit of wisdom and revelation on some power. A power given us. <coughs> Verse 19. That we might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Now there's a power that's to usward. And he wants us to understand it. We're going to see later on because he wants us to use it to manifest God to the principalities and powers. But you'll understand it more if you pray this prayer every day. He wants us to understand the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Now that power is according to something. And the power of God to us who believe, the power of God to me that he wants to give me revelation on, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It is according to, hallelujah, according to, end of verse 19, according to the working of your mighty power, which you wrought in the anointed one, the Messiah, when you raised him from among the dead and set him at your own right hand in the heavenlies. There's a power to his body that he wants us to get, and it's the same power that he reached down into hell, death in the grave, and raised Christ from the dead all the way up to the highest place in all creation, the right hand of God. And that power is what is indicative and demonstrative and, in fact, the very same power that he gave to you. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above, far above all principality and power. You might say rule and authority. And might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He took him from, you know that Satan thought he had him. 
But God, when he'd paid the price, he said, that's enough. And he raised him from the dead all the way up to his right hand, far above all principality and power, Satan himself and all of his henchmen, and seated him at his own right hand, far above Far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which has come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body. People argue over when the church was born. Well, here's what I think. When Jesus rose from the dead, John 20, and he came back through the walls, it says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And they were born again at, when he rose from the dead. So all the church and the whole earth is his disciples. But then he ascended up and he told them, now, now you don't go, to, you don't go to, uh, out to minister until you get the Holy Ghost. That's the power. But to me, when the church was actually born was when God raised Jesus from the dead ahead of a body. He was raised up the head of a body. That was the plan. That was the plan. He's going to have a body in the earth. He's going to go and sit at the right hand of the Father. But he's, got, he's not without a body. He's the head. And that body on the earth through man... He's going to put that devil under their feet. When he raised the head, he raised the body. Well, you just read it right here. He raised him far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He put all things under his feet. Guess where the feet are? In the body. And gave him head over all things to... Uh, the Greek word is ekklesia or ecclesia, and it means an assembly, a called out assembly. We are an assembly. We are a body, and he is the head. We are totally dependent on the head, and he is totally dependent on the body. Whatever he's going to get done in the earth, he's going to do it through a body, and there's going to come a body that's going to manifest God to the principalities and powers. And they're going to use the authority that he gave them. They're not going to cringe, run around singing that there's little worms. They're not going to get up in the morning and say, oh, the devil. They're going to get up in the morning and say, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Knowledge on the power that's to me, which is according to the working of your mighty power, which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead. The greatest exercise of God's power, and it uses four Greek words to talk about it here, was not in creation. It was in raising Jesus from the dead because he had Satan and all of his henchmen who had been given authority by a man against him. But God overcame that and raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power, and gave him head. You put all things under his feet and gave him head over all to the church, the ecclesia, the assembly, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And in this earth tonight there is a body of Christ, and he fills us. 
Hallelujah. Keep right on reading. And you have he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You, the body, he quickened at the same time. Now skip on down to verse 4. You have he quickened, who were dead. I think the Amplified says, slain by your trespasses and sins. Verse 4, but God... But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace we're saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. When he quickened the head, he quickened the body. When he raised the head, he raised the body. When he seated the head, he seated the body together with him. And now you and I, in Christ Jesus, are seated at the right hand of the Father, sharing throne rights. There's no other reason for it. Sharing throne rights. Hallelujah. Even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ. By grace we're saved. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. There's no other purpose for him raising us from the dead than that we share throne rights with him and that he told us that we are to rule and reign with him. We are to resist the devil and he flees from us. We are to rule and reign. Uh, in the book, uh, and I wrote it in my little uh, book, The Authority of the Believer and How to Use It, but in Macmillan's book, he says on page 27, if you believe, that God raised the body when he raised the head, and he seated the body when he seated the head at his own right hand, then early on in your day, you should thank God that he did that, and you should exercise your authority over the enemy. So for many, many years now, this is how I start my day. I sit down to do it because I start out with Colossians. I just wanted to praise you and thank you one more time, Lord, that you translated, that you fitted me for the kingdom of light, the light, and you translated me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son, the kingdom of the light. Some translations say he rescued us. And it says we should thank God for it. So I start out, oh, Father, I thank you for that. I just praise you and thank you that you did that. And then I want to praise you and thank you. I, I, could, I just am so glad I can begin my day knowing that he's under my feet. He's subjected to me. He has no say-so in my life. And then I say, I thank you for Romans 5.17, which says, They who have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Amplified says, shall reign in life through one Jesus Christ. So I sit there, I pray my prayer, and I'm ready to reign. And I, I, I pray that whole prayer, and then I say, Satan and the kingdom of darkness, I call you to attention. You listen to me. From the highest Satan to the lowest imp, I'm here to show you that you're under my feet according to this prayer I've just prayed. Read it right there. You wanted to read it right here. 
Now here's what you're not going to do today. I bind you by the blood of Jesus Christ. I draw a bloodline. You know when I go to places that are on a shore like this, I read Job. And it says that he drew a line and he told those waves, this far you come and no further. It's the same way with a bloodline. I put a bloodline over my family. I put boundaries. You're not coming past it. I plead the blood of Jesus over my spirit, my soul, and my body. I plead the blood of Jesus over my four children and their mates, my ten grandchildren and their mates, and my nine great-grandchildren. You are not going to touch us. You're not going to touch our derricks, our ministries that we're called to. You're not touching Prayer Mountain. You're not touching Migdolar Bell. You cease and desist. I draw a bloodline over the church in Collinsville. You're not touching our assets. You're not touching any liabilities. You're not touching us. You're not touching. I plead the blood of Jesus. I call you to a state of paralyzation. It is written, whatever you bind on earth, heaven backs you up. And whatever you loose on earth, you heaven backs you up. I bind you in all the heavenlies around here. We live in a place, Branson, Missouri. Uh, the town only has about 10,000, but we are one of the top tourist spots in America. Of 8 million people that come there each year. More than go to Jerusalem. And in that town, we have a... Uh, 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 lots of rivers and lots of lakes and shows, more theater seats than Broadway. Google Branson. You'll want to come there. But there's a big dam. And we happened to know a lady that worked in a, in a hotel. And some terrorists came there. And she's a Christian. She's a believer, spirit-filled believer like you and me. And she alerted the people. And the authorities came in, and they had plans in their room to blow up that dam. And if they'd blown up that dam, it would have flooded the whole city and all the tourists. But Keith Morris pastors a church there. We have Prayer Mountain. The place is filled with Christians. And they know their authority. And they could not blow up that dam. Because I'm sitting in my seat that day saying, You are not operating in these heavenlies over Branson, Missouri. There don't have to be school shootings. If people will plead the blood of Jesus and draw bloodlines around their schools. There doesn't have to be suicide. When I was here one time, suicide was in all the newspapers. That was one of the leading causes of death here in this country. I don't know if it's still the same or not. But this was particularly a young, uh, among men, young men. Did you know that there is no suicide? I could tell you right now there is no suicide except a devil sits on a shoulder and talks to people and tells them you'd be better off dead. Nobody loves you now. But if you were dead, they'd be sorry. Might even show them the funeral. But in the name of Jesus, you can take that blood of Jesus if you think your young person is being tempted by the devil for suicide. I bind that demon. If you know that a demon is involved, you've got authority over that demon. Now you're going to practice. Open your Bible. I don't care what translation you've got. God can sort it all out. But aloud, we're going to say this. And when we get to that ruling and reigning part, you're going to say what you're going to let him do and not let him do. Satan, you can do it in whispers. But I can tell you right now, somebody's called us in trouble in your families. It's probably the demon. If you don't have authority over people, no, 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 never.
That's manipulative. You have got authority over a demon. If a demon's behind it, then you can, you've got the power. Empower, it says. Okay, we're empowered. Hallelujah. All right, here we go. And you're going to say it out loud. This is practice. No, I mean, this is real. We're putting it into practice. Here we go. God of our Lord. I don't hear you. Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let the eyes of my heart be enlightened that I might know what is the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saint, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power to usward who believe, which is according to the working of your mighty power, which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. You put all things under his feet, and you gave him head over all things to the church, which is your body, his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And we have you quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, verse 4. But God, you who are rich in mercy and for your great love wherewith you loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, you quickened us together with Christ. By grace we're saved. You raised us up together. You made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And you told me that I can rule and reign in life. Now, listen up, Satan. Here's what you're not doing today. Now, you close your eyes right now, and you tell Satan what he can't do tonight, who he can't bother, who he can't work through. Draw a bloodline over your spirit, soul, and body, and your children. Cry out for that blood. Because this church, right now, do it. I'm, I'm going to be quiet a minute. You listen up, Satan. You're getting some orders. Hmm. It won't take you long. Maybe you have to ride to work in the morning. Do it in your car. You can do it standing up, but I like to do it seated. Just to show that I'm running in life. It works. And we're going to be that generation that rises up and manifests God and manifest God to those principalities and powers. That's going to be us. Hallelujah. You're going to walk in love. We talked about this morning. We're going to rule and reign. And Jesus is coming for a glorious church, and we're it. Bless the Lord, Pastor.